the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, it is. The number two is underway at nine minutes past ten o'clock on this Thursday, the very first morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Thanks again for being with us. We have more debate reaction to come. We'll take more of your phone calls in just a bit, uh, and we will uh, have more audio from the debate stage last night. If you want to talk about that, we'll take your calls at 216-901-0945. But for now, we take a bit of a respite from that conversation to welcome our good friend Dr. Everett Piper to the program. Dr. Piper is a columnist with the Washington Times. He is a best-selling author. He is a former university president, and he is a nationally renowned speaker and conservative pundit. Dr. Piper, good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure, sir. I appreciate you coming on. All right, a lot of ground to cover here. You've put a lot of really great material out there for our perusal on Twitter. And I want to encourage people, by the way, to follow you on Twitter. It's really a, a great, you know, you, you really come up with a lot of great stuff to share with folks, uh, your own work and others. Uh, follow him at Dr. Everett Piper. There's two T's in Everett, and Piper is just like it sounds. So Dr. Everett Piper, make sure you follow Dr. Everett Piper on Twitter. Uh, let's dive into some of these, uh, Doctor. First of all, I want to start with your column. Uh, that you wrote uh, uh, this past. Uh, uh, when, when does your column actually post? Uh, is it on? Uh, it, it, uh, it's in the It's in the Washington Times every Sunday afternoon online. So you go to the so, opinion oops. section, Washington Times Sunday afternoon. That's what I wanted to find out when it actually posts. I don't usually see it the moment it posts. I usually see it once it's tweeted. So, uh, so I wanted to make sure people know where to look for that. Do you really want an answer? Uh, explain uh, the the premise, uh, and you, you'd quote C.S. Lewis at the very beginning of this in, uh, in answering the question, or asking it, I suppose. Once you knew what inquiry was for, there was a time when you asked questions because you wanted answers and were glad when you had found them, end quote. That's C.S. Lewis. Tell us about Everett Piper and where you take this. I'm basically playing off of C.S. Lewis's Abolition of Man, which is such a prophetic work for our time. 
In Abolition of Man, C.S. Lewis basically critiqued the downfall of education at his time and in his culture in Great Britain. And he said we were becoming men without chests. In other words, we had a, a, a cavity in our heart and soul where there should be uh, a barometer for truth and love and virtue and what is right and good. And because we have dumbed down the definition of what it means to be human and dumbed down the definition of truth, human, you're the Imago Dei, you're not the Imago Dog And today. Uh, excuse me, you are the Imago Dei, you're created in the image of God, but today education teaches us that we are the Imago Dog, that we're nothing but the animal, the base, and that we're defined by our appetites and our inclinations, and therefore we have no soul, no heart any longer. We just grovel around and we follow our appetites and inclinations and are defined by them rather than being defined by the heart, mind, and soul, and that barometer of justice and righteousness, which is the thumbprint of God on human identity. So Lewis argued that there, part, of the, part of the reality of being human is that you ask questions because you're seeking answers. Cows don't do that. When I drive through Oklahoma, through the ranches, I see a lot of cattle on these huge ranches, and I've never seen one of those cows arguing with another. They don't do that because they have no interest in asking questions or getting answers. Human beings should ask questions because you want to know what's right and true. You'd like to have answers. There was a time when we asked questions because we wanted answers. In fact, Lewis says that that time of childlike innocence is in all of us, but then we become spoiled adolescents, and we don't want an answer any longer. We just pout, and we prance and we preen, and we throw temper tantrums because we, in adolescent infatuation and narcissism, we don't want to hear what's right. We just want to be affirmed. And doesn't that define where our culture is today? We don't want answers to our questions any longer because we've become a nation of adolescent spoiled children as opposed to innocent children seeking answers and adults who actually want to know what's right and true and govern themselves accordingly. This is going to be a broad question with myriad answers. I, I know you can't really summarize it, but I'm going to ask you just in a, in a thumbnail version of it. Um, how did we get to here? How did we get to this adolescent uh, desire and this uh, this lack of heart and the lack of soul and all the things that you mentioned that C.S. Lewis was talking about? Because I agree with you. I see it. But what allowed it? Is it is it is it the destruction of the nuclear family and the lack of two parents, a father and a mother, raising their kids the right way? Is it the educational system that has changed? Is it the culture by way of uh, what started out as magazines and billboards um, influencing minds and hearts in different ways and became television and movies on steroids, which of course led to the internet and these kinds of things? It, what is it more? Is is it family? Is is it education? Is it culture? Or is it a combination of all of the above? It is all of the above. I think that's the obvious answer to your question. But let's, let me pick on my own industry. I believe okay. that the fault lies at the foot of my industry, education. Education in the United States is lost, whether it's elementary school, whether it's uh, high school, whether it's higher education. By and large, the educational industry and establishment, the ivory tower, if you will, is lost. We've been teaching terrible ideas for decades, and we're now, as a culture, suffering the consequences of terrible results that come from those terrible ideas. When you teach decade after decade self-actualization rather than self-responsibility, when you teach young men how to use a condom rather than to be men of character and to be gentlemen, when you teach young ladies that consent 
is the only moral standard for engaging in sex. In other words, if I can just find a woman that will consent to my libido, then what was wrong five seconds ago now becomes right. When these are the ideas that we teach the next generation, then we shouldn't be surprised that we're suffering the consequences that we see on the daily news. It's education's fault, and frankly, I'm going to go further. It's the pulpit's fault. It's the church's fault, because where have you seen or heard a sermon in the last two, three, four, ten years that addresses these issues? Very rarely do you see it at the pulpit or in the college classroom or in education in general. Dr. Everett Piper is my guest uh, on AM 1420, The Answer. Doctor, let's pivot to another story, but I'm going to use a segue here since we're talking about the heart, uh, particularly in that C.S. Lewis quote and from his great work. You also have thoughts on uh, the terrible shooting, the most recent of the uh, mass shootings in this country in Gilroy, California, at the Gilroy Garlic Festival. And you tweeted out a story to this uh, in which they uh, it was noted that uh, there were no weapons allowed on that uh, premises of this festival, which, of course, as we know, is sometimes a recipe for disaster because you have no ability to fight back and stop a shooter from, from continuing to slaughter people. But at any rate, you tweeted this story out, and here's the heart reference again. You said it's not about the gun, it's about the heart. Uh, tell us more. You take away their guns, and they're going to use a sword. You take away the sword, and they're going to use a knife. You take away the knife, and they're going to use a stone. In other words, it is not about the instrument that the human being holds in his hand. It's about the ideas and the character, or the lack thereof, that he holds in his heart. Until we address the heart, it doesn't matter what you do about legalizing or making, uh, or making uh, weapons instruments, legal or illegal. People will find innumerable ways to harm each other, and you don't need a gun to do it. All we need to do is to turn on the nightly news and see the way various different cultures use things to harm other people. And if they don't have a gun, they'll throw Molotov cocktails, they'll throw rocks, they'll use a sword, they'll use a stick, or they'll get in their car and drive it into a crowd. It's not about the guns, it's about the heart. You can control guns till the cows come home, but if you don't control the heart, you're still going to have human sin and evil unleashed upon our culture. Very well said. And that heart, of course, as we discussed in the last uh, subject, uh, uh, is is impacted so much by the society and the culture in which uh, we have uh, we find ourselves and what we have built for ourselves. Dr. Piper, I'm going to take our time out here because I want to come back and talk about two more examples of the LGBTQ mafia coming after people for their religious beliefs and uh, get your thoughts on that. I have a pretty good idea what you're going to say, but I want to hear you say it. Dr. Everett Piper back after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Bob France here on AM 1420, The Answer. Ten twenty three. Now we continue on AM fourteen twenty. The answer with our guest, Doctor Everett Piper, best selling author, a columnist for the Washington Times, and a noted public speaker and conservative pundit. All right, Doctor Piper, um, we've been talking at length in recent weeks about the LBGPT community, and uh, 
their attempts to force acceptance, if not just acceptance, celebration of their lifestyles, even if it conflicts with people's personally deeply held religious faith. And we have another victim of this now. A gender dissenter has been fired. Tell us the story, please. Well, this is a professor from the University of Kentucky, or it was the University of Kentucky, Louisville. I can't remember. That's not important. But another major professor has been released because he spoke out against the lunacy of of uh, trying to stop children from developing naturally, biologically, physiologically, and psychology, psychologically um, in terms of whether they're a boy or a girl. In other words, he's confronting the... LGBTQ narrative that somehow young children can choose their gender. And it's the same, it's the uh, same story as Mario um, Lopez that came out this week, where he actually, he said he had the audacity, shame on him, to suggest that three-year-olds should not be permitted to choose their gender. Well, you know, any parent knows that a three-year-old thinks he's Batman. A three-year-old might think he's Barney. A three-year-old might think he's the Lone Ranger. A three-year-old has an imagination. Three-year-olds has a, have imaginary friends that aren't real. Three-year-olds will come out with a diaper on their head and a sword in their hand because they're playing and they're make-believe. Why in the world would anybody presuppose that a three-year-old should be given the prerogative of choosing their gender to the point where they're given medical attention puberty blockers and whatnot right. later Hormone on in blockers, life right. that will actually stop them. Yeah, that's uh, the Mario Lopez one is particularly disturbing to me because what he said was very, very um, commonsensible, um, and it was not insulting. It was not offensive. He was not calling anybody out. He was not expressing anti-trans uh, uh, points of view or anything. That he just said, when you have a little tiny child, a three-year-old, uh, you know, certainly you, you cannot allow them to decide whether or not they're a boy or a girl. They are a boy or a girl based on their genitalia, based on their chromosome, based on science, based on obvious uh, factors. And if they start to have delusions and mental questions about their physiology later in life. Then you have discussions about that, and you and you take them with whatever mental health professionals will help them realize what their actual body is. All he said was, you can't let them make these decisions at age three and then accommodate them. And the worst part about this, Dr. Piper, is he was forced to apologize. He was being savaged online, on television, for this quote-unquote homophobia or transphobia, and he ended up having, in order to save his career, because a lot of careers have been destroyed by simply speaking truth on these matters, in order to save his public career and improve his Q rating, he apologized for the comments. And, and he said nothing that any good parent or anybody with an ounce of common sense, even if you're progressive, left-of-center, secularist and not a conservative Christian, how could anybody disagree with this point? Three-year-olds should not be given the prerogative to choose much of anything. If you let them choose what they want to eat, they'll choose gummy bears. If you let them choose what they want to wear, they'll put their diaper on their head. If you let three-year-olds do anything, they will make poor choices. That's what parenting is about. You make the choices, you lead, you decide, your children do not. And to do otherwise results in children playing in the role, going out and playing in the middle of the highway, because three-year-olds right. will do that. A good parent I, I, my loves favorite, child enough to stand in the way. 
My favorite response to this, uh, Dr. Piper, and I'll let you get the final word on it after I share this with you, came from Matt Walsh, who is a conservative blogger and, and writer um, uh, and, and, and uh, podcast host. And he responded to the Mario Lopez outrage this way. Quote, when we, at the, uh, when we were at the lake a few weeks ago, my three-year-old son asked to go in the water without a life jacket. I said he couldn't breathe because it's not I'm sorry, I, I, I can't believe I'm misreading this. My apologies. I said he can't because it's not safe. He said he can because he's a fish. I still said no because I'm an adult and he's three and I'm not a crazy person. <laughs> That's the best example that I've gotten yet. You gave several. They think they're Batman. They think they're a dog. The little boy said, no, I'm a fish, Daddy. I can breathe the water. Uh, according to what the, 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 the LGBT community is saying, well, you need to support that. You need to accommodate that. You need to encourage his fishdom. Uh, and instead, as Mr. Walsh said, no, uh, I'm not a crazy person. My three-year-old is not a fish, just like my three-year-old boy is not a girl, and my three-year-old girl is not a boy. Kids say and think weird things. I'll give you the final word. Very quickly, this is the easiest debate to win. Because the conservative worldview, the worldview that conserves the time-tested truths that have given the greatest measure of human freedom in all of human history, the biblical worldview is the only worldview that addresses this issue. Because we can legitimately turn to our adversaries and ask the question, do you believe in the innocence of children? Shut up and listen. Let them answer. Do you believe in the dignity of women? Shut up. Let them answer. Do you believe in the identity of women? Do you believe that women are real. Do you believe that, uh, are you a feminist? Do you believe in the feminine? We ask these rhetorical questions, we should be quiet and listen, because they should answer yes to all of the above, that they believe in those things. Do you believe in human freedom? Do you believe that people should be free? Ask the questions, and then we are the only ones with the answer, because their answers are delusional. Ours are grounded in reality. Perfectly stated, and that's a great way to end the conversation. Dr. Everett Piper, please keep up the great work. I'll encourage everyone to read your work online at the Washington Times. And again, follow Dr. Everett Piper on Twitter at Dr. Dr. Everett with two T's at the end, Piper, and you'll get access to all of his wonderful work. Dr. Piper, thank you so much. I'll talk to you again next week. Blessings, Bob. Thank you so much. 10.30 now, the Bob France Authority going to get our top, uh, bottom of the hour news here. And on the other side, how many times have you heard me ranting and raving about social media, the censorship platforms of Twitter and Facebook, shadow bans, uh, follower uh, uh, deductions, um, uh, uh, tweets that don't reach anybody, uh, messages that are deemed to be offensive and hateful that are not, suspensions and bannings and so on and so forth. Uh, and I've been telling you about Parler, which is a wonderful app, I think. P-A-R-L-E-R. It's a great place where free speech is encouraged. You don't get banned uh, for, for having the wrong ideology. And that means you can have the liberal ideology, too. You don't get banned. That's what makes it better. Well, in a moment, we're going to talk somebody who's come up with his own. Another social media application uh, that is intended to be, I think, a bit of a substitute for the liberal platforms of Twitter and Facebook and beyond. Uh, that conversation coming up with the founder of this uh, particular uh, application next, AM 1420, The Answer.
1035, we roll onward on this Thursday edition of the Bob France Authority. Good morning. Thanks for being with us. If you've been with me as I did the Hugh Hewitt Show again this morning, and we'll do again tomorrow to wrap up the work week. So uh, really seriously appreciate however long you are able to listen. listen. We're trying to cover a lot of new ground here. Now, I mentioned this on the Hugh Hewitt program, and I mentioned it uh, on this program several times that I, like many others, are getting fed up with the shadow banning and the blocking and the censorship of the social media platforms that are the most popular in the world. Facebook and Twitter are those. I don't know if Twitter, I mean, uh, if uh, Instagram does a lot of censorship because I don't use it ever, um, but I have an account. But uh, at any rate, I've been talking about it and I've been excited about finding Parler. Somebody turned me on to and I've turned a lot of other people on to it, which is another social media uh, application. Uh, in which you can share ideas and articles and, and, and so on and so forth, pictures. But um, I also stumbled across another one. And this is a little bit different than the other social media uh, applications, but their principles are what attracted me to them. Uh, when I first heard about this, uh, this new application, uh, they made it very clear to me. The reason they created it is because of the same things we're talking about. They will never boot someone or ban someone or suspend someone for having the wrong point of view. Um, and that to me automatically, you know, gave it, gave it credibility in my eyes. So joining me now is the developer or owner, and I'll ask him what his title is, of this uh, app called Moptu.com, Josh Nam. Josh, it's been a long time coming since we started chatting a couple of months ago. It's good to have you on the program. How are you? Hey, Bob. Thanks a lot. Uh, it has been a while. Uh, yeah, we've been uh, talking about getting you on for a bit and, uh, and finally f- uh, found a time to do it, so I'm glad to do that. Uh, what do you call yourself? Are you an app developer, a founder? Uh, are you a software engineer? How do you, uh, how do you, how do you brand yourself? I am the co-founder. Uh, co-founder. This, this is the typical, I'm the co-founder. This is the typical all-American story, the two guys in the garage kind of thing, except it's a virtual garage. Um, I actually <laughs> co-founded this company with my, my best friend. I always feel like I'm nine when I say that, but we've been friends for decades. And he is the programmer, and I'm more of the idea guy. Very good. All right. So now I may, I gave the name. It's called Moptu, which is a very it is and, it's, it, and it's a bit of an unusual spelling too. It's M O P T U. Tell us what That's that correct. means. So, uh, honestly, Moptu was the name of my dog when I was a little kid, and we needed a <laughs> domain name. And well, <laughs> I know I if you're looking for a, some sort of meaning behind the word, there isn't any. But when I was a little kid, that was our family dog, and as you know. Companies have all kinds of crazy names. Now, I'm not sure if it's Parlor or Parlay, but uh, we needed a domain name, and everything we could think of was taken. So I finally said to my friend, you know, I've got a name. Nobody will have taken it. Let's use Moptu. And he said, what's Moptu? I said, that was my dog when I was a little kid. So it was spelled M-O-P-T-U. We looked it up, and the domain name was owned by a Chinese company, which is funny because my dog when I was a kid was a Lhasa Opso. Lhasas are Tibetan. And I felt like, here we go again, China's taking something away from Tibet once again. So we took out the domain name M-O-P-T-W-O, but that was confusing for people. We waited, and when the domain name became available, we switched to M-O-P-T-U. All right, now this begs the question, Yes. what kind of name is Moptu for a dog? <laughs> That's not a thing. That's <laughs> yeah. not a word. Who Bob, came up with that? Bob, Bob, this is the 70s, and you're going to have to ask my mom, the answer to that question. 
No, you're going to have to ask her that and report back to me. I can't. I can't reach mom right now. But you need to find. Hey, mom, why did we name the dog? Why did you guys name the dog Mop Two? What the heck the, the is a fa- Mop Two? The family lore is that my mom had a friend who had a loss, and that dog's name was Mop because it looked like a floor mop. So when we got our dog, I can see that Mop Two, but they wanted to change the spell. So, so, so your dog looked like a mop. Also, is real shaggy. Correct. Yeah, oh, so, so it was mop dog. two, as in, a, as in a as in a movie sequel, mop two. Exactly. So, so rather exactly. than the number two, just mop two to you. Okay, now I got a story. Correct. I like that. Now, now I, you, now you got it. <laughs> I, I do. I don't know why I care about those things, but I do. I mean, when anytime you see an unusual name, unusual spelling, this, day, what's the origin behind that? Because there's always a fun story there. Now I get it. Mop the dog <laughs> version two or two point oh. You know what, Bob? There was some guy in the fifties asking what Xerox means. So, this has been going on for a long time. That's a good point. <laughs> That's a very, very good point. All right, now, Josh. Um, all right, so now that we yeah. have the story, and we're talking about Mop Two dot com, it is a uh, social media. Tell me about the right. the or, the origin. What was the genesis of this? You and your best friend. Uh, you're the idea guy. He's the what you call him. He's the uh, the tech guy. He's the tech guy. Okay. Uh, what? What? I mean, why? Why? Why did you guys want to come up with this? What was the point? So my background is not in tech. My background is in politics and marketing. Mm-hmm. And I've been fairly obsessed with politics since I was a little kid. And as a result, I, I've always kind of called myself a political junkie. And me and this friend I keep talking about, my business partner, and a bunch of our other friends, maybe five or six of us, we were sending emails to each other constantly with links to political stories. And I also used to read, still read The Drudge Report, and I thought, you know, instead of sending an email with a link to a story that four or five people who already agree with me are going to read, it would be a lot cooler if we could put it on a website that everybody had access to, kind of like a personal drudge report. So everybody could have their drudge page, in, in essence. And at the same time, social media was really starting to pick up steam, and we decided to combine the two concepts, the personal drudge report with social media, at the same time, Facebook was beginning to pick up steam. And we realized that Facebook really, if you really boil it down, Facebook really does three things. You can update your status. Uh, I'm on the Bob France radio show right now. You can post a video or a picture, or you can post an article. And Twitter took the status updating portion of that and made it into its own platform. Um, in different ways, Pinterest and Instagram did the same thing with posting photos and videos. Nobody had created a, a social media platform that was solely for posting articles, and that's what we decided to do. So we're talking to Josh Nam, who's the co-founder of a of a social media application or app called Mop2. Uh, so you, and it's on the App Store, right? You got that on the uh, Apple App Store. We do. Yeah, we actually just launched the app uh, recently. Uh, for anybody who downloads it, we, we'd appreciate it if you'd rate and review it for us. Uh, it's going to continue to be upgraded. As the weeks go by, uh, just keep in mind that everything is done by two of us. And as I said before, we only have one programmer. So gotcha. uh, we, we, we don't have the resources of Twitter or Facebook yet. Now, now, now explain this to our listeners. Um, you say it's yes. a place to share articles. Is it a place Correct. to argue about articles? Is it here's something that I found from my place where I like to get my news from, from townhall.com? Uh-huh. Uh, and, right. uh, and then liberals can yell at me about it. And then when they post something right. from Huffington Post, then I can yell at them about it. Is it, is it still right. similar social media in that way? Yeah, hundred percent. We have comments on each article. You can argue to your heart's content. Uh, we did 
have an innovation that now Instagram's actually doing, but we've done this from the very beginning. If you're the kind of person that does not like to argue, I, I, I'm definitely an arguer, but if you're the kind of person who does not like to argue, you can actually turn the comments off on any individual article. So anything so that you post and you don't want to get feedback on, you just want other people to see, you can just, right. just post it with no comments. If you want to. I mean, I, I definitely prefer to get into the, the, the muck of the arguing. But, yeah, if you prefer to not have a discussion on any individual post, you can do that. And keep in mind, we have much more than politics, though. We have actually we have 25 topics on MOP2. And when you post an article to your page, you posted the categories that you create on your page. But each of those categories is associated with one of 25 site-wide topics, which is sort of a catch-all for everything. So we have articles about cars and recipes and psychology and history. The genesis is the political angle, but we have articles about all kinds of other things, too. So often when people are posting articles about child care, they're probably not getting into huge arguments like you and I would over politics. Um, we're talking to Josh Nam, co-founder of a social media app called uh, Mop2, and you just heard. Uh, so are the 25 categories kind of like trending now? Uh, it's a, I mean, it's going to trend in one of those categories, or do you have a separate trending function so people can see what most people are posting articles about, or is that not part of the site? We don't have trending. We eventually will. No, those are 25 fixed topics. We picked 25 things that we thought cover pretty much everything. So, for instance, okay. like I said before, we have history, we have music, we have entertainment, we have politics, we have cars. Um, and we sort of modeled that part a little bit on existing social media platforms where you can you can post things under particular categories. Pinterest, for instance, does that. Um, Pinterest is great, but Pinterest is more for photos, whereas we're more for articles. Josh, um, let me ask you this. Um, yeah. Your description at the beginning I found interesting. Facebook, you said, does three things. And then you said now there are three different uh, uh, sites or companies or, or apps that do one of those three things. Uh, Twitter lets you do right. the status stuff and, and, and Instagram the photo stuff, and now you guys are the article stuff. Are you worried right. that people don't want to separate them out and do them all in three different places? And if you still keep Facebook four different places, when Facebook kind of said, we're, we're going to lump them all together. You only have to really go to one place to, to get all of the above. Because I find myself, find it very difficult um, since I started out with Facebook and and then uh, went to Twitter and then Parler. And, right. and I, I, won't, I can't call it Parlay because I think people are going to spell it P-R-L-A-Y or something. Uh, I, I get uh, it. it. Yeah, it's annoying. Um, uh, so I just say P-R-L-E-R. Anyway, uh, and and then now yours. Um, it, it, I find it hard to keep. I, I, I have a Parler account. I started an account with you, with Mop2 as well, when I first found out about this back in May, but I haven't done anything with it. And I haven't done, I done, I've done very little with my parlor account because it's hard enough to manage two big social media accounts, let alone a third and a fourth. How are you going to attract right. people to, to make them, you know, to make them put that effort in to put extra time in by coming to this one as well? So that's a great question. Um, we definitely don't see ourselves as a political or conservative version of something else. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a need for platforms like Parler because of shadow banning and the other things you were talking about before. By the way, by design, we don't have any algorithms at all on the site because we that's how serious we are about not having any bias at all. We don't interfere with what's posted on the platform and we don't have any algorithms that interfere either. So we're not we don't see ourselves as a conservative or political or liberal version of X. Those are all out there. We see ourselves as a missing piece of the social media pie. Um, I can give you an example of why I feel that way. 
there are hashtags on all of these platforms. If you, and I'll give you a non-political example, if, if I may. Sure. When David Bowie passed away a couple of years ago, I realized that we were the only social media platform on planet Earth where you could go to hashtag David Bowie and only get articles. So you could see how useful that would be if you were looking for articles about history or if you were looking for recipes or if you were looking for uh, child care advice. And we're the only platform that can do that efficiently. So I definitely see ourselves as being a missing piece of the social media universe rather than being a version of X. Now, how do we get people on the platform? We're hoping to get a lot of people like you <laughs> who are influential that will bring followers onto the platform. Gotcha. And, and, that, and that makes sense. And that's why I'm glad to bring you on, yeah. because I, I appreciate it. I appreciate what you're doing and what you're trying to do here. I'm just trying to, like well, I said, I find that. ways to to push it, because, like I said, a lot of people are decide I can I can manage a couple of things, but not all of them. So to the yeah. point you mentioned about no algorithms and mm-hmm. and uh, really any, nothing is is censored. No one will be will be censored. The the right. obvious question to follow that is what about quote unquote hate speech? Now I don't mean the type of hate speech that Jack Dorsey and his algorithm writers right. at Twitter. You know, if you say you know make America great again, hate speech banned. Right. right. Right, but I'm right, talking right. about, you know, if somebody gets on there and posts uh, odes to Hitler, uh, you know, uh, uh, Holocaust denials, uh, uh, horrifically, you know, terrible things that virtually everybody ever anywhere would find terribly offensive and disgusting. Right. Uh, do you do you have a standard that says, yeah, we're not letting that go up. We're, we're, we're going to ban that person or censor <laughs> that thought. How, how do you do that? Y- y- yeah, I mean, we, we have terms of use and. At some point, there is going to have to be a human element involved in that kind of thing. Um, our position, though, is once they're inciting violence or you actually are, you have an open call to uh, become a neo-Nazi, that kind of thing. Unless it's very, very obvious, common sense uh, definitions of hate speech, the real thing, then we would, we would ban that user or, or take down a particular post. But it would have to be something that, that is pretty much universally agreed upon is hate speech. Other than that, we're not. I, I think the bottom line is we're never going to ban anybody because of a political position, ever at all. And you know, I, I think grown-ups can agree that if you're talking about how to build a bomb, or if you're uh, a Nazi, you probably don't belong in a public platform. Right, but otherwise, right. well, pretty much uh, anything else goes. Josh, uh, how many uh, uh, registered accounts do you have? So we have. That's that's a good question. And again, I just want to remind everybody that we, uh, we're just two guys. So we have uh, about 12,000 uh, monthly active users. We have about 5,000 registered accounts. Uh, that's the bad news so far, although that, that's pretty good for guys. We have no funding, so we haven't done any marketing at all. Right. But our users have posted 70,000 articles, and those 70,000 articles have 30 million article views. Wow. That's great. That's great. So, um, uh, this is a crazy question, but who's your most famous user? Do you have anybody that's, you know, celebrity status that you see? And maybe, you know, if you tell people they're there, that'll bring more people around. Hey, Bob. Yeah, you are actually our most famous user. So. <laughs> oh, you're in trouble. <laughs> cheers, cheers, cheers to you. So, yeah. <laughs> you, you, need to get, you need to get a little bit larger than that to get. I'll see if I can get Dennis well, Prager or somebody to get on there. Uh, <laughs> somebody, you know, somebody, I, get Prager you to I, get an I, account on Mop2 uh, because there's plenty great. of articles so, there. 
full disclosure, PragerU was on Mopdu a very long time ago when we first started out, but we didn't have an app and we didn't have a lot of things in place. And the person from PragerU who opened the account is no longer with PragerU. Oh. And so if you could... If you can get us in touch with Dennis, that would be great. I actually ran into Will Witt at a restaurant in Hollywood over the weekend, and he promised that he's going to get in touch with me. So, Will Witt, if you're listening, <laughs> let's make it happen. Let's touch. make it happen. That's uh, I, you know, I will. I'll do my best. If there's uh, anybody that I uh, talk to that is in social media that is uh, of uh, of a little more note than I am, I'll uh, I'll see if I can suggest them. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be I, I, that's going to be your big uh, opening door. There is getting up a lot of people that other people want to hear what they say well, and in what kind of articles they would want to share. So. Exactly, and I appreciate that. I, you know, we've approached uh, Ben Shapiro and Dennis Prager and Larry Elder, and and sort of all the usual suspects, all of the prominent conservatives and some prominent liberals too, um, to bring them onto the platform. But you know, it's funny because without getting too critical, for good reason, conservatives complain a lot about the state, the state of social media, and and the obvious bias that's inherent there. But trying to get people to come to a new platform is pretty difficult. But you're right; it will take yeah. somebody with uh, that kind of stature. Yeah, no question about it, to get a big public endorsement like that. Uh, Josh Nam, right. co-founder of Mop2.com. Uh, take a look at it. Look at it on the App Store if you have an Apple. Is it on the Google Play Store, too, on that side? Uh, no, not yet. Not no yet, but it's on the Apple App Store. And, uh, again, go right. to Mop2.com. And uh, Josh Nam is the co-founder. Josh, thanks for bringing it up here, and I wish you the best of luck in getting a great following. Hey, Bob, thank you so much. Thank you. There you go. It's 1053. Last segment coming up right here on AM 1420, The Answer. WHKRadio.com is where to find the Bob France Authority Podcast. I want to wrap this up today with this story. I played for you the um, reprehensible Trump is a racist comments from Don Lemon on the debates last night at CNN and uh, also on Tuesday night. And, you know, this ongoing narrative that if he criticizes somebody like Elijah Cummings and Elijah Cummings has darker skin than he does, then he is clearly criticizing the dark skin. It's clearly racism. It is not anything to do with, I don't know, job performance. It's got to be race. That's the backdrop for this story that we'll close the program with today. The University of Pennsylvania, hardly a conservative bastion, it's an Ivy League school, has uh, conducted a survey. And the survey they conducted was to find out exactly how much more racist America had become in the age of Trump. Lo and behold, they found the opposite. President Trump's election has made racists come out into the open. The tropes went, President Trump's white nationalism is bringing back white nationalism and making it more popular in the United States, the critics screamed. Not according to the study. In the rise of Trump, the fall of prejudice, sociologists Daniel Hopkins and Samantha Washington found that since the 2016 campaign and election of Donald Trump, white Americans expressed anti-black and anti-Hispanic prejudice declined. According to Spectator, The Spectator, the researchers expected to find what organizations like the Southern Poverty Law Center had seemingly endlessly reported that Trump's election resulted in an explosion of hate. Yet we found exactly the opposite, they say, as the 2,500 Americans which the researchers had been following since 2008 indicated a sharp divide, or excuse me, sharp dive 
in racist attitudes that was statistically significant. How about that? Another liberal fake news lie exploded. We are less racist in the age of Trump than we were before him. We'll talk more about that on tomorrow's program. I will be back tomorrow morning for Hugh Hewitt as well. So if you're up early, turn it on at 6 a.m. Then stick with me as long as you can through this program ending tomorrow at 11. That will be a free-for-all Friday. Have yourself a great day. Mike Gallagher's next. We'll see you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.